G'day. Welcome to Lunch Money, uh, your online and social media home for special situations, uh, workouts, and capital raising professionals. My name's Nick Samios. I'm the fund manager and director here at Hermes Capital, and I am your live stream host. Um, we have had a very interesting week in the world of capital markets, uh, supply chain finance, non-bank finance, etc. Um, it's it's hard to pick up a newspaper without uh, Greensill uh, being mentioned. And uh, I think that what's interesting about that story, it's not necessarily Greensill itself. Uh, it's just about how that situation's come about and what the downstream consequences might be. I personally think that the situation has come about uh, largely as a result of all the free money and the money printing and uh, post-GFC money printing. I think that whilst a lot of people aren't putting it in those terms, I think there's good reasons why we can analyse it that way. Meanwhile, this week, our government has announced that they're going to give 0% uh, loans to small businesses. And I think that that is uh, going to create some issues in itself. Um, I guess because of all the free money printing, a lot of people have, have got savings that they've set aside. We've talked about on this show before, there's $250 billion sitting in bank accounts at the moment. And now that uh, all that, all those savings are going to have to compete with uh, compete with the government as it offers home loans at 0%. Before we get into that, before I introduce our first guests, uh, I just want to ask you to uh, share like or subscribe. But if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, give us uh, set the notification bell and subscribe. Uh, and uh, ditto if you're watching us on Facebook. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, do us a favour and um, and uh, maybe even give us a five star rating on 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 Apple Podcasts. That'd be very very cool indeed. Well, without further ado, I would like to introduce uh, our first guest, and our first guest is Barry Lau. G'day, Barry. How are you? G'day, Nick. How are you? Nice, uh, nice to be on. Very good. Now, Barry, uh, you're a corporate and structured finance uh, advisory chap. You're the managing director or a managing director at uh, Constellation Capital. Uh, you're a senior corporate bank executive. You've got a lot of experience, uh, not just here in Australia, but also uh, in London. I think you said Hong Kong, Kuala Lumpur and Singapore of all places. Uh, and you're on the structured uh, debt advisory side of things. Um, and what is it that, that's been keeping you busy this week? Uh, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Nick, for um, for having me on. Um, yeah, Constellation Capital, we're uh, corporate advisors, uh, debt advisors, and focusing on you know uh, helping small and mid-sized uh, companies um, access uh, alternative uh, source of capital uh, from non-bank sources. And um, you know we work with credit funds, uh, offshores, or like investment houses, uh, security companies. Um, and and the likes. Um, yeah, good question. Uh, what, what's been keeping me uh, busy this week? I think, um, as you saw, like in your intro, the um, the, the the news about Greensill has uh, has been on the front pages, and I've been getting a lot of calls from a lot of colleagues and um, and and friends uh, about what is going on there. Um, you know, on um, on uh, the business side, I mean, Constellation has quite a diverse um, range of uh, of projects. Um, you know, I come from a, um, a structured finance background, and we sort of like focus on alternative um, debt. And so, so we're looking uh, at different things from um, acquisition financing of a of a global uh, drilling rig business uh, to a financing of a, a forklift uh, business. Um, I'm also sort of like looking working with my Hong Kong partners on a uh, on a property transaction. That's not an area of expertise for me, but um, 
working with um, with um, some experts in the property sector for a um, for a Melbourne development, and um, and um, I've got an aviation sort of background, so I keep my finger in the pie on um, some aviation transactions. So looking at um, uh, I've got an advisory um, a role for um, for the acquisition of some uh, aircraft. So uh, I prove a wide uh, variety of of stuff, but uh, but really the, the the key is sort of like just bringing capital. To uh, businesses where um, you know it's it's difficult for those uh, business to, businesses to obtain. Well, that's very interesting. Uh, as a matter of fact, next week uh, we're going to do a bit of a spotlight on aviation. So uh, so tune in for that. Now, to what sort of ticket sizes are you normally involved with? Oh, uh, look, I mean, um, you know, the current um, the, the the current business we're sort of like looking at ten to fifty million dollar sort of like ticket sizes. Really, sort of like helping those businesses. That's sort of like small to mid cap, where where they've got an established business, um, where the, they're unloved by the banks, really, uh, or they're looking at sort of like growing, and particularly sort of with COVID, um, sort of like trying to move off uh, JobKeeper and sort of like growing their business, um, possibly with acquisitions, um, and uh, and looking for that sort of like growth capital. So so helping them sort of like structure, working with um, sort of other corporate advisors on on the integration of businesses, but, you know, from my point of view, looking at sort of like financing of, of, of those businesses that, that are sort of like growing and uh, and building their business. So, yeah, um, uh, typically sort of 10 to 50 mil. Yeah, it's an interesting space. I mean, you said unloved. I mean, the thing is when it's there, so they're too big to be small businesses and obviously banks have teams that, uh, that, that, that focus on small business and small businesses are a little bit political as well. But then you've got the corporate stuff where it's in the corporate finance departments, but there, there is a bit of a gap. I appreciate that 50 million bucks is finding its way under the corporate desks, but uh, I suppose there is that sort of gap where it's too, it's too, it's way too big to be small business, but it's a little bit too small to be right up in the institution part of the bank as well. Is that is that where you where you're playing? Yeah, yeah, correct, Nick. I mean, and and also, you know, these business owners will typically sort of like, you know, where they've grown their own business, they they may have a CFO, um, but you know, they're they're not um, sort of you know large corporate CFOs who are talking to banks all the time. Who are sort of like you know, perhaps even in the city and sort of like having coffees with people like yourselves and knowing exactly where where the cash is and where the market is. So you know those CFOs are very good at their operations. Um, you know they are very good accountants, uh, but not necessarily sort of you know having a, a full picture of where uh, the financing opportunity or financing um, um, you know sources are. So yeah. so yeah, so looking at that market and helping those guys. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, as, as noisy and as busy as I am, I mean, it's, some people find it hard enough to find me, but you've got capital sources offshore as well? Uh, well, I mean, I, um, I've uh, spent half my, um, my career uh, in Hong Kong, uh, Singapore and KL, as you sort of like intro So I've got a network of, of uh, investors. I mean, it is horses for courses, um, you know, a lot of institutional investors uh, find it hard, sort of, um, um, particularly during the COVID, sort of like, um, and looking for bigger, sort of like, ticket transactions, and that's sort of covered by some of the bigger boys. Uh, but then there's a lot of sort of like smaller investors, family offices that um, that will have an appetite for um, smaller deals. And is it special sits, or is it it's growth, or it's just you know pre-IPO, or all of the above? Um, oh, look, growth, um, oh, for, for me, given my, my experience, um, I'm sort of like, yeah, looking at, at growth, um, sort of, you know, growth businesses, 
uh, not so much special sits. Um, I know that uh, there are so like quite a number of funds looking at special sits, and you know there's a potential where where banks have, have got growing books where you know there are uh, opportunities for them. But for me, it, it is very much sort of like uh, helping businesses grow their business, particularly yeah you know, if they've got offshore connections into Asia. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, look, uh, that's a, that's a good introduction, Barry. I'm going to now just pop you back into the waiting room, and we'll introduce uh, our second guest for today. And that is Daryl Kirk. G'day, Daryl. How are you? Nick, I'm well. How are you? Very well indeed. Now, Daryl, you are a partner there at Cork Orders in Brisbane. In fact, we managed to catch up the other week, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I made the mistake of uh, after I saw you, I, I, I was meant to be going to Perth and I detoured via Melbourne and that locked me out of WA, but that's uh, that's another story for another time. Um, now, now you've been a partner up there at Core Quarters for uh, for four and a half years, and obviously you've got a long long history in insolvency before that. Tell me, uh, what is it that keeps you busy? What what are you seeing up in uh, up in Brisbane at the moment? Well, Nick, there's uh, there's a variety of matters really. It's uh, I mean, I wish I could say they're all new matters, but. Uh, you know, I think uh, it's, it's well known that our industry has been relatively quiet over the last 12 months and I think, you know, largely due to the, the government incentive uh, position and I think, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's worked, uh, worked very well. But some of, the, some of the matters that sort of arose last year, which are, you know, sort of taking their time to work through, but uh, recently a uh, sale of a silver mine. So that's what we've been working on for the last sort of four or five months. That's uh, gone under contract as of last week. So uh, everybody's very, very happy uh, with that result. In fact, uh, the, uh, the contract price uh, was about 10 times what the liquidator had it under contract for. So it's, I mean, that's a story for another day, but it's a tremendous result in the circumstances. One of the more topical matters that we're working on is a, uh, a tier two uh, electrical contract uh, insolvency. Uh, and that, uh, that had supply chain finance and you know, there are a number of different aspects that uh, contributed to uh, to that particular uh, business's demise. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the supply chain finance uh, position with that business uh, was affected really by uh, the recoverability uh, of the receivable uh, and the influence that the receivable collectability had on the viability of that business. Um, so... That's uh, been a particularly interesting one to work through. Uh, another one is a pre-lending review uh, for a better financier uh, involving um, uh, the effect of JobKeeper. Now, this, this particular company is a public company, so I better be careful about divulging too much. But at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's uh, EBITDA, uh, for the last 12 months is about 10% below what the JobKeeper payments were to that particular business. So, you know, there's still the underlying concern there that the business model is actually broken. Um, of course, you know, the, the, the effect of the JobKeeper has really been to provide for a uh, recapitalisation of, um, uh, of of that balance sheet. Um so hopefully, uh, you know, that's that's given them the time to address the uh, restructuring that's, that, that, that is required. 
And, of course, a couple of matters uh, that you and I have been involved with, uh, recent referrals involving um, some debtor finance issues, uh, another one again yesterday. So so definitely the, uh, definitely the inquiry is picking up, uh, and, and you would expect that, I guess. I mean, it's been, um, you know, uh, pretty much in hiatus for the last 12 months. Um, well, I, look, I, I'll say this, Daryl. I've been telling... Um uh, I've been telling you know uh, people in your industry the last week. You know uh, when we started at the beginning of this year, we were saying to people, "When do you think it's going to get busy?" And you know you'd have people saying, "Oh, the end of March, the end of June, the end of the year." Scratch all of that. Uh, our inquiry is up, and I think that uh, I think you guys are going to be super busy uh, a lot before you think. I think I think within the next few weeks, I think it's all going to hit. Uh, I've noticed that the notices, you know, the uh, insolvency notices are up and all that sort of thing. Listen, you've just very quickly, because we could talk about some of the things that you said there, we could talk about, we do a whole show on. I mean, firstly, you casually mentioned about your silver mine, you got a better price than the liquidator. So obviously, you're not the liquidator in that matter. Sale out of a receivership. Uh, right. The, okay. the, you know, we were appointed after the liquidator. Okay. Uh, first went under contract uh, by the liquidator and the secured creditor decided that they wanted to take a position on it. Uh, okay. We've been through, uh, you know, an extended sale process. and uh, So you acted for the secured creditor? That's correct. I'm the receiver. Yes. All right. Well, there. So it sounds like there would have been a bit of rock and roll there, but we won't. We won't. We won't drill that into it now. But you got a smirk on your face uh, for those listeners listening at home. Um, so we'll leave that one alone. Now, there was something else that you said there about JobKeeper. Now, like it's almost getting boring talking about JobKeeper coming off. But you're saying that you know, without no names, no pack drill. But you're saying that you're talking, you know, to a listed company. JobKeeper is, you know, is some considerable portion of uh, their cash flow at the moment. But you know, one way or the other, you look at it. And they can't, they can't be the only ones. Yeah, well, what's triggered the uh, pre-lending review, Nick, was, was the fact that the, you know, they no longer qualify for, for JobKeeper because they've been extremely profitable uh, during the last sort of 12 months. So, you know, that free working capital, if you like, that was provided by, by the government is now no longer available, which is triggered this uh, position uh, for the, uh, you know, for an incoming debtor financier. I guess the the risk and the question in my mind in terms of doing the review was that clearly the business model uh, historically uh, has been uh, lost uh, and there's, there's no doubt there's been attempts to address that during the last 12 months. But at the end of the day, um, uh, as, you, as you well know, that if you've got a loss-making business going forward, then it's going to need um, some funding from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and, and to then, you know, fund it with debt is 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 probably a riskier position than equity, right? So well, I guess uh, I guess it needs two things. It needs some funding from somewhere, and then it needs to stop losing money. But that's. That's another story. Um, listen, well, we, we, as I say, I mean, you've got some fascinating stuff. We could spend an hour talking to you, Daryl, but we will bring uh, Barry back. Uh, and I, I have got this rudimentary sketch of supply chain finance. What I've got here is I've got, a, I've got suppliers and I've got the client and I've got the customers, right? So you've got a business that sits in the middle of my diagram here for the listeners at home. And we've got product flows from the suppliers to 
the, the business in the middle who would who you know we'll call the business the client so the, the the product moves from the suppliers to the client and then from the client does some value add perhaps and then supplies the customers now payments flow in the other direction and there's two uh, key payment flows there's the flows in the business from the customers to the client so that's one uh, stream of money right as the customers of the client's customers pay for their their goods and that money goes to the client. Then there's money that the client pays its suppliers. Now, where uh, where my firm sits, for example, and where a lot of people, a lot of my competitors sit, is in that payment stream that from the customers to the business. So there's there's this this flow of this pipeline of money from the business's customers to its client, and that pipeline can be monetized or financialized to provide credit. And the beauty of that from a lender's point of view is that there's lots of customers and so any risk in that transaction is spread across all those customer payments. Now, in the supply chain finance model, uh, the, it's, it, it's that second stream. It's the payment to suppliers that's monetized or financialized uh, and all the risk, therefore, really resides uh, with the client that sits in the middle because as a lender, you're not getting paid by all the customers, you're getting paid by the client itself. Now, that works fine if it's Telstra or if it's uh, Ford, I suppose, or maybe even even Cynic. Um, but that's that's basically the model. Now, have I got that right, Barry? Uh, yeah, so uh, exactly. I think that uh, the diagram that you have there on, on the right where you've got um, you know, the customers paying, that's your classic you know, receivables finance or invoice finance or debt of financing. And, uh, and you're right, you know, that, um, that, uh, that risk is spread across you know, all the various um, customers. The supply chain finance is focused on, on the buyer and providing early payment uh, and providing an early payment to their suppliers. And if done properly, what it does do is it actually allows um, suppliers early access or access to the early payment of their, their invoices uh, rather than sort of like waiting 30, 60 or 90 day uh, payment terms. So, so if done sort of like properly, um, the, uh, the suppliers will receive their, their money um, you know, early, uh, maybe on sort of day five or day 10. And, uh, and then the financier who actually sort of like uh, undertakes that payment steps into the shoes of that uh, supplier and then waits for you know the regular payment terms 30 60 or 90 days to be paid by that client so um, right. and and you know as you say you know most of those trades uh, have um, you know trade um, trade credit insurance that sort of ensures that you know that uh, you know those suppliers a lot of suppliers will take you know um, trade credit insurance they'll ensure that those uh, those suppliers, you know, um, the electrician out there, you know, the electrical contractor that sort of like Darren was sort of like mentioned earlier, uh, will get paid. And uh, if they don't get paid by the client, then then you know, insurance steps in. Yeah, I guess the important thing is that the insurance uh, prov- uh, mitigates the risk. So whereas the risk in a debtor finance scenario is normally uh, the risk from the lender's point of view is, is mitigated by the spread of customers. The risk in a, in a supply chain finance scenario is, is often handled through the insurance. I don't think now, now, you know, I've been around finance for a long time and, uh, and you know, there's been talk of reverse factoring for years, you know, I mean, it was certainly well before Greensill's era, but, but Green, is it fair to say Greensill pretty much put it on the map? Um, well, so let me just declare my, um, <laughs> um, uh, my myself in terms of, so I, I did spend 18 months at Greensill and I left yeah. about six months ago, so to pursue my own business and, and, and yeah. do broader 
sort of like financing things. Um, oh, look, I mean, Green, green Seal, uh, look, as you say, reverse factoring has been around for yeah, donkey's years. Um, what Green Seal is able to do is sort of like make it a wholesale product. I mean, the banks all provide this. Um, well, not all the banks, but, you know, so, you know, a lot of banks provide um, supply chain financing. And like all bank products, you know, there's 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 limits in terms of what you could do. And there's also, so, you know, uh, flexibility issues or inflexibility in terms of sort of platforms and, and, and payments and things like that. So, so Greensill was able to sort of like, you know, capitalise the, the debt capital markets and sort of make it, uh, you know, accessible um, to a, a lot more people by sort of like, having larger chunks of money thrown into this particular product. Yeah, well, I guess they, uh, they 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 brought in the whole security. Well, I mean, I don't know if they call it securitisation, but the whole thing of converting it into bonds, I suppose, is a securitisation process one way or the other. Um, I, I guess, um, Daryl, you know, obviously we're, I, I, we don't provide traditional, you know, what, what the strictest sense of what supply chain finance is. I do know that when we are looking at refinancing distress scenarios, uh, the presence of some of these uh, supply chain or even trade finances, it depends on where you are uh, in the food chain. It, it does get different names. Uh, even some trade trade finances really you know, fits into this supply chain finance model. It does make it harder for us to refinance or to go in and bail someone out uh, because if their whole supply chain's funded, like if their receivables are funded and and then they're, you know, they're virtually, you know, their um, pay, payables are funded as well. It, it makes it hard. I mean, how, how does it go in the restructuring space? Have you, have you encountered in restructuring terms? Um, not, not overly, uh, I have to say, Nick, but uh, it, it's fair to say, uh, Barry, that the, the whole, the, the transaction is effectively moving um, the unsecured creditors into a secured creditor pool, isn't it? The, the effect of the, uh, the funding of, uh, of the invoices means that the supplier invoices really are assigned to the funder. Um, that's the correct interpretation, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, that, that's right. The, the funder actually still steps in. And assumes that those um, those receivables um, that uh, that the supplier has. So so yeah, technically the supplier sells those uh, his receivables to um, to the funder. Um, so um, so that's yeah that's your 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 you know classic sort of supply chain financing um, uh, transaction. And and you know from an accounting point of view, that that customer um, or the client there in that case. Um, you know, maintains its trade payable sort of like um, status on their on their balance sheet, and that sort of like has caused you know some some concern in terms of discussions as to where where the product should be sort of going, should it be disclosed, is it really a debt, and all those other issues that um, that you know you see circling around in terms of discussions of this matter. Um, I wonder. Uh you know, with with you know, with with green cell. I mean, what are the? I'm wondering what the downstream consequences are. Um, you know, companies like Telstra and you know those you know blue chip, you know, undoubted credit companies. Uh, they're they're going to pay. Uh, you know, there's, there's no question of uh, of certain bondholders getting paid back. There's obviously the whole separate issue of Gupta, which we won't necessarily go into. But um, so so the downstream. I'm just wondering what the downstream consequences are. I mean, are there now going to be a bunch of uh, suppliers who were used to getting paid in five to ten days 
are now going to have to reset their cash flows? Or is Apollo, you know, what, what, what happens, do you think, Barry? I mean, st sticking within the realm of what's in the papers, because I, I know that, uh, you know, I'm treading carefully as we, we both need to do. Yeah, no, no, I understand. Look, I mean, um, you know, without sort of any, any names or anything, I mean, I, I guess, you know, it, for, for any collapse, I, I guess the, the tragedy really is sort of like the people that's involved. So, you know, you've got, you, you know, you, you've got a thousand employees that sort of like are sitting there waiting for um, what is happening. That's one. Um, the downstream on, on effects on, on various businesses and, you know, the papers reported about, um, you know, GFG group in terms of, of you know, their, their need to sort of like raise financing and the potential and the political consequences of, of you know, the jobs in relation to those businesses. But you know, specifically, you know, the suppliers, um, you know, access early payment in a in an SCF program, um, and if that program is no longer there, then the suppliers won't get access to early payment. Um, now, those suppliers, a lot of them, you know, are uh, small, medium-sized companies. Um, they, you know, would typically need to sort of like draw on overdrafts or, or, or even, you know pledge their, their, their home to sort of like try and keep the business going. Um, so not having this early access means that that's a, that's a big hit on their working capital. Uh, and do, do you think there'll be a lot of that? Do, do, do you think there'll be a lot of customers suddenly looking, like a lot of the the suppliers suddenly looking to to reset um, their, their their financials? Um, look, I, I don't, don't have... Sort of, you know, stats on that, yeah, uh, but yeah. certainly, you know, you, you you would think there are, and I think Daryl might might actually have a an example which you could sort of like talk to. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but you know, there, there's going to be, and, and it really depends on on the size of the businesses. You know, if it's a mum and pop shop, then yeah, that's an issue. If it's sort of like a big sort of you know multi uh, national sort of uh, um, contractor, then you know they have to access capital from a, a different source. Oh, of yeah, of course. Well, what do you think, Daryl? I mean, did, did you did you say you had an example, Daryl, with your electrician? Was that that's that's right? In fact, these guys were actually uh, utilising the Greensill facility. Uh, but the problem with this business was really the nature of the receivable and it being involved in the building construction industry. They were having trouble, you know, delivering on their uh, on their services. So it put in doubt the collectability of that receivable. So whilst the supply chain finance part of it was working uh, reasonably okay for a period of time, it's still reliant upon that nature of that receivable and, and, and the borrower being able to actually collect on that receivable to, you know, to make its payments under its facilities. So, you know, I guess in that respect it still has that traditional issue of... Um, you know, it comes down to um, the ability of, of, of the borrower to be able to to access funds to make sure that it's it's, it's able to service its facility. Um, it, it acts no differently just because it, it sort of bypasses that traditional um, um, sort of working capital process. Um, in... In, in practice, it actually works quite well. Although in, the, in this case, what did happen uh, is, you know, there was a there was a time when the default on that facility, and that is the supply chain finance part of the uh, part of the process, uh, meant that the suppliers were still working and not getting paid, um, and that's that's because of the contractual issues that this this company had with its uh, with its principal. Mm. Um, I mean that's unavoidable. 
I wonder, um, I guess I've got a couple of questions and I don't know, I don't think either of you guys can answer them, but I just uh, I just put them out there. I mean, I, I guess one of the issues here was that, uh, one of the issues with Greensill obviously was uh, that the insurance cover was pulled and then that had downstream effects for, for, their, for their capital raising on the bond markets. And, you know, one of the things that I pondered to myself, and again, I appreciate that you guys probably can't answer this question uh, for a number of reasons, but... Uh, is whether or not the insurance markets are seeing green seal as a special case or whether or not they're looking at credit insurance across the board. I mean, that's, I think, an interesting thing to ponder. And again, I don't think we're necessarily able to... Uh, the, certainly the inquiries that I've made uh, don't, don't you know, seem to be that it's not, it is just being treated as a special case. But the other thing is that, you know, th this week the federal government announced that they're going to launch a scheme of offering zero interest loans um, now, it's going to be targeted. It's going to be at the, the tourism sector and some hospitality sectors, I suppose. But, you know, I, I'm a guy that makes a living out of uh, lending money to people. And, you know, we've certainly got buckets of cash. And we're not the only ones. I mean, there's, you know, there's lenders all over the countryside that have got buckets of cash. And, Barry, you would know that, you know, you're dealing with all sorts of funds. That, that And, you know, firstly, I wonder whether or not the government should be competing with existing pools of funds. I find it, is that really absolutely necessary? But the other thing I wonder is whether or not this low interest rate environment that we've had for a number of years has created balance sheet pressure. I mean, we have a term in our, you'd be familiar with this term, Barry, balance sheet pressure, where you've got a bank or a lending institution that's sitting on cash and that cash is earning nothing and it's got all the pressure to get that cash invested in order, you know, to get the yields. And I, I wonder whether or not Greensill really at the end of the day was a victim of balance sheet pressure and that's maybe why they got, uh, they, they got a little bit more exposed to Gupta than they may have otherwise wanted to be. But are you seeing balance sheet pressure in other funds that you're dealing with? Uh, look, I won't comment on on, no. on Greensill and I'll, I'll let the, the viewers sort of like you know, come to their conclusions uh, from reading yeah. the paper. But, but you, you are right in terms of the negative carry that a lot of funds uh, have you know they're they're washed with funds they're sitting there it's it's earning nothing and they've got us all make a you know a six seven ten percent return for their investors so so the good ones know when to invest um, and when to return their money back to their investors and and obviously the ones who who are pressured to sort of like invest in anything um, yeah suffer those consequences um, but you know the the the, the negative uh, rates just don't help and your your point about sort of like the government you know competing. I mean, you know, unless they know exactly how to sort of like compete, I find it very hard for them. So, you know, it's easy for them just to dish out money like, you know, like the feds and, and, and the RBA sort of like just, you know, doing a Q, QE. So um, so that's just a, a simple but quite a blunt um, way of sort of like you know, distributing cash. Uh, doesn't help, you know, investors and sort of like compete. Um, and, um, you know, I, I don't know what the... Um, what 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 the uh, solution is is to that um, you know but certainly there's as you say there's a lot of cash floating around. Yeah, I like, yeah, I like your term negative carry. So you're you're sort of from a bigger end of town than I am. We're just sort of humble small guys here. We we don't have those those flat that flash term. But the fact is, if you're sitting on a lot of cash, um, you know it's it, I think there's no shame in uh, in returning it if you have to. It's better than chasing bad deals. I've always said that one of the advantages that we have in our fund is we're not we're not publicly listed, for example. And so I, I don't have the pressure of having to report to the stock market every month on how I'm going. And if, you know, if we want to walk away from a deal, we can walk away from a deal without having to worry about about uh, about how that's going to reflect. I wonder, uh, Daryl, I mean, what are your thoughts? With the, like, 
We, we've seen now for 12 months the government uh, providing support, and it's certainly been effective and it's been welcome in certain parts. On the other hand, there have been businesses that had problems before COVID, and, you know, they've just been sitting there uh, on life support ever since. By the time you get there, I mean, you, you want to be able to restructure the business. I know that you're one of the guys that does their best to try and actually uh, get a positive outcome for, for everybody, uh, as opposed to taking the simple path and just putting it all on the chopping block. Uh, I mean, but it makes it a bit harder if it's been on life support. It it's get, becomes what uh, uh, one of our friends uh, in, in Brisbane, one of our finance broker friends in Brisbane calls the sucked orange. Um, you know, I mean, how do you, what, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, should the government just step back and let nature take its course? Or, you know, I guess the guys up and down the coast of Queensland do need help. Where, where do you sit? Um, well, do you think this is going to be an election year, Nick? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, for the cynical, I think I think the government was always going to introduce another round of um, uh, of support packages. Um, you know, I think um, you know it's interesting. I think I was reading the Fin Review yesterday. That the take up on the first round of these uh, government back loans was actually really quite low uh, in terms of. Uh, you know, the, the major banks promoting them and, and providing them. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the CBA was, was certainly out there, um, you know, uh, using using this uh, using this process. But I think the other banks uh, really backed off. Um, and so I just wonder what incentive uh, there is actually for the banks to, to actually look at providing uh, these government back loans. I mean, they're interest-free and P&I-free for a couple of years, I understand. So, look, I think it is really targeted. Uh, um, you know, the, the, to be eligible, you've got to have had JobKeeper in the last quarter, I think. Um, um, I'm, sure, um, I'm sure if I'm wrong, I'll get corrected. But, you know, that to me sort of says, well, rightio, they do understand that... Um, that, that some of these players, in, 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 in particularly the tourism industry, um, um, you know, they're, they're still going to have a difficult time of it. Um, yeah. yeah, okay. And, Barry, I mean, Daryl said before that he was doing a pre-lend on a, on a listed entity that's, that's obviously uh, had the benefits of JobKeeper. And I, I assume that we're talking about, you know, substantial uh, figures. I mean, we've already seen some companies have been handing back JobKeeper, you know, in the order of, you know, $10, $20 million plus. I mean, do you ever feel yourself, you know, given that you sort of deal in that, in that sort of 10 to 50 space, you ever found yourself competing for deals with, with government handouts? Not, not, not personally in any, any of the deals um, um, I'm looking at. I mean, you know, certainly it helps in terms of, um, you know, the, the cash flows and, um, and, and forecasting. Um, but, uh, but, you know, not, not, not specifically, but, you know, you, you have a lot of organisations, say, in the renewable space, like, you know, the Clean Energy uh, Finance Corporation. They sort of, like, lend and provide finding alongside commercial lenders. So, you know, they're helpful. Um, in terms of sort of like that aspect, um, you know, the grants and all that stuff, um, you know, they, they just add to the uh, the cash flow, which actually helps in terms of analysis of the risk. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, well, that's interesting. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, there is this term uh, crowding out, and I think that Daryl 
would certainly agree that people like us and Daryl have certainly been crowded out to some extent with, uh, with, with government money. I'm not sure it always helps. Uh, I think it's well intended. I certainly think that that the low interest rates, as I say, I, I think that it is causing a lot of that negative carry uh, that we talked about before. And let's face it, negative carry is what is what caused the GFC. It was it was uh, it was it was chasing yield. Um, it was it was you know pools of printed cash at that time that, that was looking for somewhere to go. And so the financial engineers needed to find different ways of slicing and dicing. Uh, and look where we ended up. So, look, guys, we I know this is hard to believe. I say that every time. We're, we're actually out of time. Can you believe that, that we're already nearly 40 minutes into this discussion? So what I would like to do is give you both the opportunity to just give some closing thoughts um, before we say goodbye, and I'll start with you, Barry. All right, okay. Look, I mean, I guess that the theme you're, you're looking at sort of downstream effects on, on SCF and, you know, I guess my... My, my views are that there is a place for um, supply chain finance as there is a, a place for receivables and invoice financing and other forms of structured uh, transactions. So you know, hopefully when, when this all comes out in the wash and is reviewed, that, uh, that it maybe is just an isolated event and that you know, the baby is not thrown out with the bathwater and um, you know, the whole you know, financing industry uh, in that particular area sort of like goes down because... Yeah, there there are lots of benefits in terms of um, you know, supply chain financing, but but you know it's horses for courses. You know, you just have to be the right right uh, party to be sort of like using it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, yeah, governments are certainly known to overreact. Um, I personally believe that the responsible lending laws that we have in Australia are an Australian reaction to an American problem. But we won't go down that little hobby horse. Daryl, your closing thoughts. Oh, I just want to echo Barry's sentiments, uh, Nick. I think uh, you know there's a there's absolutely a place for supply chain finance, um, and, and certainly it is. You know, it's 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 more suited to some industries than others. But I, I suspect that if you you know if you take uh, that supply chain chain finance uh, availability away, then then there will be a fallout. Um, you know, and I know. Uh, you know, each of us looks into our crystal balls each day and, and, and tries to uh, see uh, how uh, things are going to play out over the next six months. Um, and, you know, depending on uh, how uh, green seal actually goes, I mean, there may well be a contagion uh, effect in certain industries if indeed, um, you know, that, um, that source of uh, capital dries up for certain businesses. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting space to watch. Well, based on what you told us earlier, Daryl, uh, you don't seem to have too many dull moments in your day. So uh, I will say, Barry Lau, thank you very much uh, for joining us. And Daryl Kirk, uh, thank you very much uh, for joining Lunch Money today. Thank you to those of you who are watching live and thank you to all of you who, uh, who listen or watch uh, later on. Um, signing off, see you next time. Cheers and thank you very much.